0: 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, if I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have, ways for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I have been known as I've been fully known so now faith hope and love abide these three but the greatest is love let's pray father we give you thanks for the day we thank you so much for the many blessings that you have given to us we thank you for the opportunity that we have together together in this place and to worship you, Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of these people. And I I thank you for their presence here today. I know that many people can't be here today, but Father, we are just so excited about today. We're excited about what you're doing in our midst, that you are an unseen guest here today. And so Father, if you would just allow for us to, to know that you're here. That you're with us, Father. I pray that you would speak to us in in a mighty way. That you would move in a mighty way. That we would just, without a shadow of a doubt, know that you're here. That you're that you're speaking. That you're present, and that you are at work. Father, I I I know that Lord, I have a part in this service, and so Father, if you would forgive me of my sin, cleanse me of the unrighteousness that is in my life, and give me the grace that is needed to preach your word in a way that brings honor and glory to your name, in a way that brings sinners to repentance. And believers, to a time of renewal and their relationship with you, Lord, if there's someone here today that has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, I pray that today would be that day, the day where they admit that they are a sinner, believe that Jesus is the Son of God and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. If that were to happen today, Lord, we would give you all the honor and all the glory. We know that in order for that to happen, you have to be at work. You have to you have to move, you have to penetrate our hearts and think, and just change our lives and change our thinking, change our motives, change our desires and change our way of looking at life. So Father, I, I pray that, that you would move and that you would work and that the people of God that are here today that would respond. And if, Lord, I just, I'm eager to see what's gonna happen today. Lord, we love you and pray all these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, uh, I, uh, I talked about George W. Trout before. He's a, the namesake for the seminary that I, I, I went to. And uh, he got saved at the age of 19, started, started preaching. And you know, when he, uh, before he became a freshman in college, Him and another man were basically, they were put in a position to help save Baylor University. Isn't that crazy? Before he was a freshman at the campus, he was asked to get the university out of a financial pickle. They were in such bad shape. They were about to, I mean, the oldest Baptist, the oldest university, rather, in the state of Texas. I mean, about to go under. And they put their hands into a young man before he was even a freshman. That's the type of leadership skills, character that he had. When he got saved, he started preaching, and not not because he was asked, but somebody asked him to preach, and there was a revival going on, and they said, George, would you be willing to preach the gospel to these folks? And he did. His desire, though, was to be a lawyer. He wanted to go into law school and to be a lawyer, and um, that's what he wanted to go to school at Baylor for, was to go practice and study law, rather. He, uh, his church that he was going to, he was going to this really small village church. They held an old Saturday meeting, and when he had arrived at this meeting, this is what the church said. There is such a thing as a church duty, when the whole church must act. There is such a thing as an individual duty when an individual detached from every other individual must face duty for himself. It's my deconviction and yours, and this is just a deacon of the church that's saying this, not George. A deacon of the church says, there is such a thing as an individual duty when an individual detached from every other individual must face this duty for himself. But it's my deep conviction, he says, and yours, for we have talked about this with one another, that this church has a duty to perform and that we've, laid, we've waited light and long to get about it. And this deacon says, I move that this church ordain George Truitt to the full work of the gospel ministry. The motion was promptly seconded and Truett immediately jumped to his feet and protested. He said, give me six months. Let me, let's wait six months before you do this. He goes, I'm, I'm appalled that you would do this without even talking to me. Another and another and another said no. Each of them, with tears running down their cheeks, said, George, we have a deep conviction that you ought to be preaching. We won't wait 6 hours. We are called to do this thing now. And we are going to head, we are going ahead with it. We're moved by a deep conviction that this is the will of God. We dare not to wait. We must follow our convictions. You know, I, I share this with you for two I, I mean I just I'm I'm just amazed that a church would feel so deeply about an individual, that they see the power of God on a man and say, listen, I mean, can you imagine just for a second if there was somebody in our midst that said, you know what, a a young man, competent, (laughs) well-educated, said, I want to go be a lawyer, and that we would have the gumption as a congregation to say, no, you need to go into ministry. I mean, just think about that for a second. But here this church is, saying, listen, we know your plans, but we, we see God at work. And like, They have not only a love for Truett, but they have a love for the Lord and a respect for the church that's so high. They say, listen, being a lawyer is great and there's no disrespect to it, but we love you so much that we know that God has placed a call on your life and that you must follow it. The love that is spoken in chapter 13 is god's love it's agape love agape love is not passion or affection it's the love of god god's love is is faithful god's love is devoted it's not temporary it's not based on work it's unconditional love it's the type of love that believers are to have towards god and the love that god has towards us and the love that we are to have towards one another this chapter can be broken down friends into into three sections and i'm going to I'm going to try to do that today, to break it down into three different sections, and I think they each discuss how love motivates different aspects of the Christian faith. The first principle can be seen in verses 1 to 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but had not love, I gain nothing. There are two different types of of tongues in the New Testament. We're gonna talk about this next week, so I don't wanna get too far into this, but there there's a type of of tongue that allows you to understand another language, for evangelistic purposes, and then there's a, a type of tongue that's for, to, to, like a, an angelic voice, a heavenly language that's for praising God. Paul says if you're sharing the gospel or if you're praising God but have not love, then you're not just making, then you're just making noises. That's what he's saying here, friends. In Corinth, a, a bronze gong or a symbol was used at, at pagan worship festivals or ceremonies. The Bible is quite clear that there is just one God, that there is no other God before him, that we should worship him and him alone, that there is no other God. We worship the most high God. There are other gods that people worship. they are small g gods, right? False gods. And in Corinth, there was a, I mean, they were polytheistic. They believed in many gods. And so there were these festivals and services. And at these services, there was a, a symbol that somebody would be banging on. And there was a God, ga- I mean, so like you have these instruments that people are using at these false gods ceremonies. I mean, friends, how would you like to be the guy <laughs> when you get to heaven to think, man, all my life I've been playing the instrument to the wrong God? <laughs> what a waste, right? I mean, like, and Paul, what Paul's saying here is like, listen, If you're if you're using your spiritual gifts, whether it's tongues, whether it's prophecy, or giving, or whatever it is, if you're using these gifts without the love of God in your heart, then you're just as bad as like. I mean, you're just making noise. What's the point? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your life. You're you're wasting the gift. You're just like this guy at the false god ceremony. There's no point a purpose what are you doing you got bigger problems don't miss the point paul is saying don't miss the point of your spiritual gift it's for the good of others first corinthians twelve seven. 7 we talked about this for the last couple of weeks if you love, if you don't love god then what are you doing with your spiritual gift just to show you're wasting your time doesn't matter what your outward actions are you can have all the knowledge. You can have all the prophetic. You can have all the the the, the knowledge. You can have all the, the speaking. I mean, it doesn't. If if the love of God isn't there. I I have an old truck that we are. It's a lawn ornament in my driveway. You know, and uh, my wife really likes it. My neighbor loves it, and uh, you know, but. Uh, the brakes aren't working all that great on it. If you wanna buy it, you know, it's for sale. Uh, But full disclosure, the brakes don't work. So, you know, bring a trailer. But we were, my father-in-law, he's in town here, and he's a mechanic, right? And so I'm like, man, this is perfect timing. We've got, you know, so we went out yesterday morning, we were working on these brakes and he was, we were trying to bleed them and then we noticed that it was leaking brake fluid from the wheel cylinders on the back and we're like, hey, we're just wasting our time here. These need to be replaced. Sometimes in our faith though, it's like, I mean, we've got small problems, but the reality is, is that we're trying to fix these small problems, but the rea- there's a bigger problem at hand. I mean, like it's, there's something major going on in your spiritual life and you think that, hey, maybe if I just add some more brake fluid, that's gonna solve the problem. Maybe if I just pray more, maybe if I just maybe if I go to church, I mean, maybe if I just keep doing all, going through the motions, going through the motions, that's gonna solve the problem. And what Paul is saying here, it's your heart. It's you. It's, it's, like, you don't have the love of God that's inside of you. Like, you can do all those spiritual works you wanna do, friends. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The love of God must be there. You can, you can be as knowledgeable as the next guy. You can do all the right motions, go through all, check all the right boxes, have the nice clothes. I mean, everything can look just fine. But if your heart's not right, you're just making noise. Sometimes in our faith, there are bigger issues at hand. The second principle that we see in chapter 13, seen in verses 4 to 7, love is patient. Love is kind, does not envy, does not boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Listen to the attributes of the love of God that is, and how it should affect our relationships with other people. I mean, it's not supposed to be convicting, friends. I, I, but if does, then you're not alone. Love is patient, kind, not envious or boastful, not arrogant or rude, not forceful, not going to fly off the handle, does not find joy in others' mistakes. I mean, friends, I mean, <laughs> does this describe any of us? I mean, I mean, with the exception of Jesus Christ, has there any has there ever been a man that can just like me yeah, up? That's me right there. <laughs> my my boys and I and uh, Ryan Stavick and his son, we went camping here a few weeks ago, and it was either one of two things: pouring down rain or like a hundred degrees. And uh, you know, we went and I think it was the first week of June and I'm thinking like ah, if we go in July it's gonna be really hot maybe it's not gonna be so hot here in June but it was it was like burning hot or pouring down the rain and when it poured down we were a tent camping we're not like glamping like some of y'all glamp we were in a tent roughing it you know and so but it's I mean it was just it was raining you know and so when it rained like the boys just they didn't have any problem in the rain you know but then when it started lightning, it got really like, okay, let's get in the truck, you know. And so my sons, their shoes were just caked with mud. And uh, my, one of my sons, he, my youngest son, he like took his shoe to my center council and just did this. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, like, I mean, like talk about, like I was just at that point, like I, I was flying off the handle, right? Like I just couldn't handle it anymore. And you get to a point of frustration where you're just like, hey, listen, this isn't fun. You know what I mean? Like, but like, you, you ever get to a place with somebody like you're just like, I don't know what to do next. You know, like I, I don't know how to handle this situation. And sometimes you fly off, the, you make, but you say something you're not supposed to say. You, the love of God, it's there. But man, it's like it's being overshadowed by your human nature. It's, I mean... Am I the only one? Am I, I mean, we're all kind of, we've all been there before. I mean, you laugh because, hey, you know it's true. I mean, it happens to everybody. But it's an impossible task for us. But Jesus Christ, he, he personified each of these acts of love. He really, I mean, like Jesus Christ, he is love, friends. And love is an action. It's not a feeling, and, and Bob Butley says that love is a human. It's Jesus. It's not feelings, it's action. Each of these attributes of love are in the active tense. Love is action. You can say it all you want, show it. You can show, you can tell your wife you love her, you can tell your brothers and sisters in Christ that you love them. But the Bible says that love is action. It's actions. What you do is what matters. Let me say this. I, I do think that it's a, it is possible for us to do this through the grace of God. We can love others. The way that Christ loves us, it's not impossible with Jesus Christ. God's grace is sufficient and it will allow you to have these attributes of love. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you're going to never make a mistake. Never really going to fly off the handle. Never going to be jealous, envious, spiteful, angry, resentful, irritable. I mean, But God will give you the grace that you need. If you're here today and you're a Christian, then you know that God loves you in spite of your sin, in spite of your shame, in spite of the faults that are in your life. God's love is unconditional, it's everlasting. Romans 8 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, neither death nor life. No living thing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's where we say amen. I mean, that nothing can separate you, friends, from the love of God. And like, if, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you know that you're not perfect. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, you know what you do. You know your actions. You know your heart. You know the mistakes, that you, the sin that's in your life or the, the sin that once was in your life. And in spite of all of that, God still loves you. Nothing can separate you from the love. I mean, if God loves you, in spite of all of that, Don't you think it's possible that God will give you the grace that you need so that you can love other people in spite of their sin, in spite of their faults, in spite of all that's going on in their life, so that you won't fly off the handle when they do something dumb that affects your life? Don't believe me? Look at the third principle that we see in verses eight to 13. The character of God of God's family is motivated by love. Love never ends. As far as, prophecy, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We've been at this 1 uh, Corinthians for a little while. I'm sure you remember back in, in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, verse 2. Paul tells the church, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, all called to be holy people together with all those everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. To those sanctified, he says. You know, we, we think about sanctification, that's a, a, a theological term that we throw around a lot, and we often say about sanctification is what? It's a process. I read an article this week about sanctification, and it said that sanctification, it is a process, but it's also a position. And a position that we're all in. After we become a believer in Jesus Christ, we are sanctified. We are in this position, and listen to what he says here, to those sanctified, it is a position, right? And it's a, to be sanctified, it's a, it's a process of becoming more and more into the, more and more like Jesus Christ. OK? But we're in that position right now. After you become a believer, that's the position that you're in until what? Glory comes. All right? And <laughs> when that happens, When you transition from this life to the next, your position's going to change. You'll move from a position of sanctification to a position of glory. We become co-heirs with Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul is saying that on that day, the love of God will remain. These other gifts, though, will pass away. They will cease. Everything will become clear, There will be no need for prophecy to speak in tongues. We all know we will all know the truth fully. Nothing will be hidden. No longer are we going to be needed to be preachers, teachers, worship leaders, servants, administrators. We become heirs co-heirs with Christ we'll receive our glory I uh, excuse me I, if I go back to George Truitt just for a second we'll kind of close here is that George Truitt after he left school and graduated, he became the pastor of First Baptist Dallas in Dallas, Texas. He was actually nominated to be the pastor of this church without even putting his name in the hat. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Huh? He pastored there for like 50 years. And uh, he, I mean, was behind, he was the main man, the main pastor behind the Sunday school movement in America. Brought the church to like 8,000 people, and uh, I think he averaged like 100 people being baptized every Sunday. I mean, every, every year, sorry, not every Sunday. that would be really impressive. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he's, he said later on in his life that if, if, he, goes, if, if 1, he goes, "If God could give me a thousand lives," he goes, "If God could give me you know, at the end of my life, if I go to heaven." And God would say to me, "You have a thousand lives to live." He says there wouldn't be like one of those lives that I would choose to be a lawyer. He goes, there, "He goes, there, there wouldn't be a single life that I would say, you know what? Like I, I want to do something else besides the gospel ministry." He said, "I mean, can you?" Can you imagine living your life at the end of your life to say, man, I'm so just satisfied with the decisions that I've made with my life? I haven't wasted it. <laughs> I haven't taken it and squandered it. But I'm satisfied. I mean, isn't that just what we all want at the end of our life to say, man, I'm so happy with the decisions that I've made? Friends, if you're here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, I promise you this, you're never going to regret it. If you come forward today and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it's not a decision that you're going to regret. It's not a choice that you're going to say, man, man, why did I make that stupid mistake? When you choose to follow Jesus, it's a a life that is life-giving. It doesn't spoil your life, it gives you life. It gives you purpose. And friends, you'll never regret it. If you're here today and you never accepted Christ, make a decision today to say, I need Jesus. I want to live for him. I promise you that you won't regret it. If you're here today and you are a believer and you've been living in a life that just doesn't bring God honor and glory, friends, I, I want to give you a chance today to say, you know what, I, I need to make it a change. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. We all have in our life, I'm sure many of us, if not all, have taken time in our life where we've gone off path, we've slid in, if you want to call it that. And friends, let me tell you something. You're not alone. First Corinthians ten thirteen, the, the sins of man are uncommon unto man, you you're not alone. But take this chance, don't waste this opportunity that God has given you to get right with him today. Father God, we thank you so much for this chance that we have. To hear a word from you, I pray, Lord, that you would give us this opportunity to hear a message from you, to hear a word from you. And I pray that even as we go into a time of invitation and singing of a song, I pray, Lord, that you won't stop speaking to us, that we would move in such a way that we would hear you and know without a shadow of a doubt that you are speaking to us. And Father, I pray that your hands would be on your people, that you would just penetrate their heart, sanctify their thinking, correct their desires and allow for them to know without a shadow of a doubt, your will for their life. And I pray that if there's an unbeliever here today, that today would be a time where they say, Lord, I need you. I I wanna give my life over to you. I'm tired of wasting my life. I'm tired of of living for myself, but I want to live for you today. Lord Jesus, we love you. And I pray, Lord, that you would work and move In the hearts of these people today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said,